1: Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of to Every Man and Answer as we get together every weekday afternoon at this time, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible, looking at current events, how they tie into biblical prophecy, and what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, maybe you've been reading your Bible as well, come across something you don't understand, please give us a call. We'll do our very best to help you navigate through the Scriptures. You know, the Bible does not have contradictions. And so, when we find something that appears to be a contradiction, well, it just requires a little study to find out exactly what the Bible was saying. So, if you've got a question, that number to call again, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. ask csn Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker that comes on before to Every Man an Answer, one hour exactly. John Randall from Calvary Chapel, O.C., down South Orange County, down by San Clemente. Hi and welcome, John.
2: Mike, great to be with you today. God bless you, brother. Looking forward to the program today.
1: Yeah, so uh looking forward to being with you. You've been hanging out with Ryan Reese. Yes. Of both of ours. He yeah. just shared at the River Christian Fellowship a week or so ago. And so uh, uh down there doing his radio show, and uh, he's carried here. On the CSN Radio Network as well as the Effect Radio Network, and so we—that's uh, uh Raul Reese's son, who you hear here on CSN in the evening time—and uh, always a blessing to be with the brethren. Always a blessing. Mm-hmm. Again, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask CSN is the number to call, and if you want to be part of the program today, got some lines open, and we'll just go right ahead and go to the phones. We have Will on the line in Silverdale, Washington. Hi, welcome. How you guys doing? Good. How are wheel? So my question—it's so question
3: not really a question. It's more of uh, your personal thoughts. Um, I was happened to be watching a movie. That, uh, it's a very old movie. It was called Stigmata. And I'm sure you guys know what that is. Which kind of yeah. led to the thing of uh, of the possibility that Jesus Himself wrote a gospel that just somehow didn't make it into the Bible, and it was very interesting. And you can't really find a lot of information on it, but I was just wondering what your thoughts and opinions were on that, or if you've ever heard that before. Um, yeah, just just wondering.
1: Yeah, yes, I've heard of it, and no, I do not believe it's authentic. Uh, I don't believe Jesus wrote a gospel, and it didn't get into uh, the Bible. Um, that would show a a real faux pas of the Holy Spirit, so I don't believe that God has those kinds of accidents. Uh, of course, stigmata, the things that Jesus went to through according to the Catholics you know on the cross the beating the nails all these kinds of things your thoughts john
2: yeah the stigmata also known as the five wounds or the sacred wounds of the lord you know the different places where jesus was wounded um the five classic points the side pierced the spear to confirm that he was dead hands and feet etc and and we do find this in in that tradition but but yeah, Jesus didn't write another another gospel, and the wounds. And this is the interesting thing, Mike, about the stigmata. Some people have claimed that they the wounds showed up on them, and and sometimes they would even want to use the passage of scripture. Remember, where Paul said, uh, "I bear in my body uh, the marks of the Lord Jesus." Paul was not referring to the stigmata there. He's talking about just what he was enduring for the sake of the gospel. So, um, really appreciate your question, Will. But again, I would uh, agree with Pastor Mike that. There's no other gospel, and and even as it relates to what a stigmata is or it's referred to, it's not showing up on people, and I think uh, there's not verification for that as well. Well, hope that helps.
3: I didn't think so either, gentlemen. I just uh, you know it was just it was an interesting concept, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I better consult the wisdom of people who know more than I do.
1: Well, it's it's there's a lot of ideas out there floating around. You know, uh, we also you know the the Gospel of Judas and and uh, all these other books. They were rejected by the Church Fathers because they were in error. And uh, people try to find them now and go, oh, look, these hidden books of the Bible. No, they're not hidden. They were junk then. They're junk now. (laughs) It doesn't change at all. And again, a lot of the rumors, Will, that go around with stigmata and these other things, they're simply just old wives' tales, rumors, and again, no factual evidence whatsoever to support any of it, so we'll hope that helps. Stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, and the movie Jesus. I think you'll really enjoy that. Let's go to Ron, Las Vegas. Hi, welcome. Good afternoon,
3: Pastor Mike. Um, I had a question on First uh, Kings
1: 11, 3 and four. It says about uh, King Solomon's wives turned his heart away from uh, the Lord, and uh, yes. he didn't have a heart like uh, past like his uh, father David. How do you think that affect him, and did he turn back to the Lord? Well, the one tough thing about uh, Solomon is Solomon is the one that formally introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel. What he had done, and many people believe this is his attempt, was to unite the world through marriage. In other words, if I married the Pharaoh's daughter, well, Pharaoh wouldn't attack me because indirectly he's attacking his own kin. And thus it was with the other neighboring nations, and so the idea was is that if you could assimilate enough of the authority uh um uh, recognized authorities from these other countries that they wouldn't be attacked and of course we we realized that. Uh, oh, Solomon, you know, I, I just wish I had a place to worship like I did when I lived back in, in Egypt. And so Solomon is the one that brought all these foreign temples into Jerusalem. And it's really a tragedy because we see somebody, and one of the things that we find all the way through the Bible is God let people experiment with different things. Let me share it with you. We find that Samson, had all strength. And by the way, I don't believe Samson looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I believe that probably Samson looked like anybody else. Otherwise, the Philistines would have immediately known where his strength come from. They'd go, oh, look at the guy with the big bulgy muscles over there. Boy, that guy's really strong. They couldn't figure it out. They didn't know where his strength came from. They didn't know it was a supernatural covenant, being a Levite. But here's the answer. Strength was not what it took for man to to live godly. Then we find Solomon asking for wisdom. And so God gave him wisdom, knowledge. But knowledge is not what answers the quest of life. God also gave Solomon riches. That also did not satisfy the the needs for life. And all the way through, you find these examples where people were given power, money, authority, all these different things, only to find it still leaves one empty. And so when we go back to does it turn his heart away? Yeah, it's very clear that, that his heart was turned, but is that the end of the story? John, your thoughts?
2: Well, I think it just to comment on 1 Kings uh 11, Ron. I was just thinking about the fact that the Lord had warned him in advance not to do this. And you know, we never when it comes to sin, God always warns us in advance. We we know. He and Solomon knew very well. He had a lot of wisdom. Yeah, uh, he wrote the proverbs and he, I mean this guy was smarter than any other person. In fact, when he started out, he asked God uh to help him be able to lead the kingdom. And so God gave him wisdom and the things that he didn't ask for. The sad thing is, when it comes to 700 wives, 700, one wife is enough for any man, but 700 wives and 300 women just for a good time, Solomon, Solomon gave himself over to the flesh, and the consequences followed. As you continue, you'll find that what ended up happening, the consequences of his sin is that the kingdom was taken from him, and it was divided because of his disobedience. Now when you do read the book of ecclesiastes which is also written to believe to be written by solomon at the very end mike he comes to the very end as he just traces everything that you just mentioned that wasn't satisfying couldn't do it for him at the very end he says fear god and keep his commands it's almost like this man came to the realization uh, at the end you, you need to fear god and keep his commands that's what we should be doing
1: so i believe that again um uh, i i believe in the end he turned back to god but um he certainly drug Israel through a lot of hardship that lasted for many, many hundreds and hundreds of years afterwards right. because of the idolatry that he formally introduced into, um, into Israel. The other problem was, of course, to sustain all these temples and all these things required the high taxes. And this is where. His son Rehoboam got into trouble. They said, now that your father is gone, we got rid of these, all these crazy women, uh, cut the taxes. These people will serve you forever. And then he got around his hot shot buddies that said, Oh, if you cut the taxes, they're going to, they're going to say you're an old softy that, that you're, you're not, you're not really leading. Hmm. You raise their taxes instead. And there was a revolt. There was a civil war. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. They found a guy that was exiled named Jeroboam who came back to rule and reign over them that continued to lead them away from God through idolatry. Ron, I hope that helps.
3: I think you covered that completely. I
1: thank you. God bless you. Stay on line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. With that, we'll go to Brian, Sacramento, California. Hi, welcome.
0: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, my questions going to be coming from uh, 2 Peter 2.20 and Hebrews uh 6, 4, 5, and 6, and then as long as uh, also as uh, Ezekiel
2: 18.24.
0: I came across those, and they are actually beginning to haunt me feeling that. Is it really possible, you know, being uh, saved and enlightened by the Holy Spirit like I felt many years ago? to walk away and lose your salvation. I want to know if this this is true or not. And the more I'm looking, I'm seeing that this is kind of a controversial uh, scripture.
1: Well, it is. But Jesus even said that. We find in the very last uh, five or six verses of Matthew chapter 24 about a fellow that said, my Lord delays his coming. Now, he claims a relationship with the Lord. My Lord delays his coming. The Bible says, Jesus said, he begins to eat and drink with the drunken. He begins to beat his fellow man, tells me he was a violent drunk. Then the Bible says the Lord of that servant will come when he's not expecting him, probably because he's drunk. And the Bible says he gets his portion with the hypocrites and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not heaven. That is not just losing your rewards. As sometimes I hear people wrangle Scripture. This guy didn't make it. Now, again, we find Paul talk about this in the very last chapter, Second Timothy. He said, uh, in first Timothy, Demas, this glowing brother, how helpful he was, how he loved the Lord, all these things. When we get to second Timothy, the last chapter, he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has departed not only from Paul, but also from the Lord. And for somebody to say, oh, well, they're still going to heaven. Um, that is not found in the scripture. The Calvary chapels, when Chuck Smith was alive, you could, you could get dismissed from being a Calvary chapel for holding the idea that, Hey, once you accept the Lord, uh, and then you, you know, you go out and, and backslide. Hey, you know, you're still a Christian. You're, you're still going to heaven. You, you, you just don't worry about it. Um, I play a um, Every Man and Answer with Pastor Chuck. I've hosted this show for almost 30 years, and um, I brought out of the archives one of the uh, tapes where Chuck talks about this very topic, and he said, hey, look, that's what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you abide in me. Now, there's no question if you're abiding. I don't believe anybody loses their salvation. But the Bible is very clear. You can leave your salvation. Otherwise, where does Jesus get off telling the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to repent? Since it really doesn't make any difference, you're going to make it anyway. In fact, for that matter, the, the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, where does the writer get off, Paul get off, and the others saying for these people to clean up their act since it really doesn't make any difference because, hey, baby, once saved, always saved, you don't find that verse in the Bible. A very simple phrase that I think if it was true would appear. People will immediately say, well, in John chapter 10, it says, no one will pluck you out of my hand. Well, it's interesting. There's only two places that we find that phrase, no one In the Bible, it's a Greek phrase, and it means no one else other than yourself. We find it the second time it appears also, interestingly enough, in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I lay my life down and I take it up again. And here it is. No one takes my life from me. No one except he chooses to lay it down. I don't believe any external force can remove you from the love of God, from your salvation. But I do believe a person can remove themselves. Thus, Jesus writes concerning, he says, to a church, he says, if, if you, literally the, the context is if you don't repent, I'm going to blot your name out of the book of life. Well, it had to get in the book of life to begin with. Furthermore, if you go to Revelation chapter 22, anybody that, that adds or takes away from the book, if you take away from the book of Revelation, God will blot your name out of the book of life. It had to get in there to get blotted out. So this idea of sloppy agape. Now, Is there times when we all go through tough times in our Christian experience for a day, a week, a month, a decade? Yeah, I think so. And I think there's that working of God in our life to get right with him, all these things. But I believe that there's a point where God just says, as he said concerning Ephraim in the Old Testament, Ephraim is joined to his idols, leave him alone. I think there is a point, I do not know where, I think there's a time, I don't know when, in which a person will reject the Holy Spirit. They'll blaspheme the Holy Spirit the last time, and he will walk away, and he will not convict that person again. And so this is why I believe the books of the New Testament are written so that we would not walk away. Now, very clearly, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Paul says, do not be deceived. Evidently, there was somebody coming into the church, not a brothel, not a bar, to the church. Corinthians was written to a church, not to a house of ill repute. It's written to the church. He said, do not be deceived. Those that practice such thing, and there's the word practice, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he lists what they are. Lifestyles that people who believe they're Christians, who are living in those lifestyles, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Again, First Corinthians chapter 6, people need to read that. Do I believe in the security of the believer? Absolutely. If you're in Christ Jesus, you never have to worry about that. It's where you're playing on the wrong side of the fence. And I have chosen not to live my life in question marks. I remember Chuck Smith said one time. He said, "If I'm wrong, if 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 I'm wrong, you you don't uh, you you don't have much to worry about. However, if I'm right and they're wrong, that oh, once you you're saved, you can never lose your salvation." He said, "You might find yourself in eternity, a place you don't think you're going to be." And so I look at this very carefully, and it's sad that today the Calvary chapels have so deviated from what I believe God blessed initially in the Jesus movement, the teachings of Chuck. All these tapes are available by going—you uh, can go to Blue Letter Bible, you can look at the commentaries that are written there by Pastor Chuck. And yet today, in many of the Calvaries, You find such crazy doctrine as Calvinism and and once saved, all this stuff flooding in now because, really, they like the name because, oh, it's going to bring people into the church. But in reality, you're not getting the whole counsel of God's Word. You're getting selected verses. Your thoughts, John?
2: Well, Brian, I just want to say to you, brother, I'm I'm glad you asked the question, and yes. the way that you framed it at the beginning is that these there were verses and passages of Scripture that were causing you to fear what potentially could happen to you. I want to say this to you: the fact that you're even concerned about it and are aware of it, yeah. um, it tells me something about your walk with the Lord. It would tell me that you're you're actually thinking about these things that you you want to be a man of God that is abiding in Christ. And as long as you abide in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You don't have to fear like, well, I have to go forward this week because I, man, I I did something wrong. I, listen, if, if we sin, the Bible says, if we sin, Then we are to confess our sins. And the Lord is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Every single believer is in a process of sanctification. That is where we are being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, where we're less like who we used to be and more uh, who God is making us to be. And so I don't have to worry about losing something. Uh, What Pastor Mike was saying is those that practice such things, those people that are practicing these things, they they're not concerned about their salvation necessarily they're just living like they know Jesus but they're not living uh, or they at least they confess to know Jesus, but they live as though they their life denies him. And and Brian, that you don't want that to be you. And I don't believe that's you, or you wouldn't have asked the question. So these verses are in the Bible for a reason. We would never want to take them out or try to explain them away. They say what they say, but there there should be a sense of peace. And the passage I want to give you, Brian, the Lord just laid on my heart for you, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Listen to what John says. He said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So, Brian, mm-hmm. hey, believe, continue to believe. God's got you, but stay close to Jesus. Just walk with him. Abide in him. you got nothing to worry about in that case.
1: Amen. And it isn't that, oh, I, I blew it. I, I've lost my—I don't believe you lose your salvation. Remember that. I believe for anyone listening, we walk away from it. Now, Jesus said something. He said, watch and be ready. You don't know at hour your Lord's going to come. If it doesn't make any difference, then Jesus was lying to his church. Why would he say, watch and be ready? Behold, I come as a thief, if it doesn't make any difference. So there's a compelling from Jesus to watch and be ready. You don't know what hour the Lord's going to come. And again, we want to be very, very careful when we see people living in what I call sloppy agape, where they got one foot in the world. Hey, man, let's party hardy. And then on Sunday morning, we'll just repent. Yeah, we're going to go out and sow some wild oats and then pray on Sunday morning for crop failure. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. You got real problems when we start entering into that. Again, every morning when we get up as Christians, Lord, today is your day. What do you want me to do for you? And I guarantee you, you start a day off like that, God will guide you and direct you. You know, God, I only want to do what you want me to do. So probably going to my drug dealer friend and buying a nickel bag, you know, probably I won't be doing that. Well, you know, God, today's your day. I want to glorify you. So let's go get a six-pack and get smashed. No, I don't think you're going to be doing that. You know, I think that if we really take our relationship with God seriously, and I, I believe any other time in the history of our world, we need to really draw close to Jesus. The Bible says the days are evil. And because of that, we need to really understand how precious you are to God. You're his hands, you're his voice, you're his feet. And I believe that if we're playing on the wrong side of the fence, I believe what happens then is the devil's lies have neutralized us. Now, again, I'm not saying a person. I don't know. I'm not the judge. Well, if a person died in that condition, would they go to heaven or not, I don't know. I I don't know. I I see verses that that explain it both ways. So again, don't live your life in a question mark. Be hot for God. Jesus said to a church, he said, I wish you were hot or cold because you're lukewarm I'm going to spew you out of my mouth in Revelation. Why does he say that? Well, if you're cold, he can do things to get you fired up. If you're hot, he's going to keep you going in what God wants you to do. But lukewarm, double-mindedness. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And you got one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. You don't know which one of you you like best. Now, here's another question that I want to tell everybody about. The whole idea of once saved, always saved is a secondary question. The primary question is this. If you died today, would you be at home in heaven? Now, that's the question. Now, you talk to people who accept the Lord, and uh, they're partying. I don't go to church. It's only hypocrites. I don't want to be anywhere around. Well, what do you think heaven's going to be? There's not going to be anybody up there but Christians. Now, here's the point. If you don't want to be around things of God, no matter whether you call yourself a Christian, backslidden Christian, or worldly person, if you don't want to be around the things of God now, why would you want to be around that forever? The problem is people say, well, I want to go to heaven when I die. Well, what is heaven? Heaven is a place where God is worshipped forever. Well, no, you know, heaven is, you know, a a kegger in the back of my old Ford truck, man. I have a couple of my friends there, my old dog blue, and and that's what heaven is. Yeah, man, that's what—no, not at all. See, people have a bad concept of heaven. The the devil does that. Then— The idea of going to heaven, well, you know, eternal security. Well, what are you security for? Are are you, if you don't want to do God's work, his will, his purpose here on this earth, we're not going to want to do it forever and eternity. So being about our daddy's business, your relationship with God, this is for all of us. This indicates to me, whether if we die today, we'd be at home in heaven. I can't think of anything better than to be in the presence of the Lord around the saints, doing God's will forever. But the very thought of that, even for people who call themselves Christian, well, they weren't really saved in the first place. No, I can't say that. that. That's an arbitrary statement. That's subjective. And when you look at, as an example, Demas, loving this present world, has departed you and and by the way, this is what the whole entire book of james or, or Jude is about. The Book of Jude addresses this exact topic, so I hope that helps, Brian
0: um yeah, just one more thing is um to, to quick sum this up i was uh, I was enlightened until about twenty years ago. I was in an all- time bottom it at a, at a traumatic experience, and the Holy Spirit did come in and picked me up and then in Short while later, I guess I got too comfortable, and I felt. Hey, Brian, it
1: happens to all of us. And by the way, we're coming up on a break. We'll have more right after this. You know, it's true.
0: Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt, this is why so many people are joining Medishare right now. Medishare is a trusted way to save up to fifty percent on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with healthcare costs and out of pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 29 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855 91 Bible. That's 855 91 Bible. 855 91 Bible.
4: This Sanctity of Life Month, we honor the over 63 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion since Roe. Sadly, with the abortion pill accounting for over 50% of all abortions, babies' lives are at even greater risk. But in the midst of this darkness, there is a light that shines. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies. Babies from abortion and is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. Preborn shares baby's heartbeats and the gospel of Jesus Christ to help moms choose life for their baby and for their soul. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life.
1: we want to welcome you back to part two of Jerry Man and Answer here on this Tuesday afternoon with John Randall. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And we went to the break, we were speaking with Brian. And you know, Brian, I think all of us have had our relationship with God, and then some challenging thing comes along, and we go, well, where are you, God? If you love me, why aren't you here? And I think a lot of us uh, have gotten tripped up over the years in things like that. But the good news is God's faithful when we're not, and God understands these things. I I really believe that, again, that's why I believe Paul says to earnestly contend for the faith. I believe this is why there's this ongoing thing that no matter what happens, we've just got to make a decision in our life that I'm going to stick with the Lord no matter what happens. You know, I remember something that, When Jesus said, unless you eat my body, drink my blood, you have no part of me. Now he had crowds, thousands of people around him, and he makes this statement. And they all left when he made that. Unless you eat my body, drink my blood, you have no part of me. And then he looks at the disciples and say, will you also leave? And I love what Peter says. And if we can always remember this down through the history of our life, I think we're going to do well. He said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think, friends, that's what we always have to remember, no matter what comes at us. And remember, the devil's a real enemy. If you're a person that loves God, man, he he wants to beat you up. He's the one that has the words of eternal life. And I think that's so important that there's really nowhere else to go. We know the world's a lie, and that's why, I'll tell you, a backslidden Christian is never happy, because they know the world's a lie, and they're not, ha- not happy in Jesus because of God's will for their life. But, you know, until we go, okay, Lord, you win, we'll never have that peace. Any last thoughts?
2: No, I agree with you. I hope that encourages you, Brian. And again, I appreciate your calling and— um You know, God's got his, God's got his hand and you just seek him. The Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and, uh, continue to walk with the Lord.
1: But God's completely forgiven us. Every day is new. You look at some of the horrendous things that Peter did and everything. Jesus forgave him. He'll forgive anybody. And so walk in the Lord, Brian.
3: All right. Thank you guys. I appreciate you both.
1: Stay online, send you out some books, some DVDs. I think I'll really encourage you a little book called Time to Grow, cover some of these topics in there, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, let's go to line four, Joe, in Grand Junction, Colorado. Hi, and welcome.
3: Good
2: afternoon, pastors. How may we help? My, yes, my question is, when Enoch and Elijah were raptured, did they go to Abraham's bosom or did they go to heaven? Your thoughts? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it simply says that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. It just says he took him. Well, where did he take him? Well, it doesn't really say. What about Elijah? Elijah, you remember, was ministering there in First Kings, and as he was with Elisha. And he was taken up, you remember, in that fiery chariot and he disappeared and where did he go? I believe that the Old Testament saints did go to that place called Abraham's bosom, as you mentioned, Joe. And that was, uh, it was divided into two parts. There was a place of torment where the wicked, the ungodly would go. Jesus mentions this. Luke's gospel talks about this not as a parable, but as a real story. And then after his death, And resurrection, I believe that Jesus declared his victory and cleared out that one side called paradise, and they are with the Lord. However, I want to say that Elijah does show up again. And that is on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus goes up with his inner three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured in front of them. And it says that Moses and Elijah showed up and they were speaking to Jesus right there and they were recognizable. In fact, Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We should build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's just stay up here and camp out. Of course, they couldn't stay up there. They had to go back down and deal with things in the valley. But I believe that that is where they went, where the Old Testament saints went before they were delivered, after Jesus declared his victory over the devil.
1: Amen. Hope that answers it for you, Joe. That's what I
2: kind of thought, too, and you guys clarified it for me. Thank you very much. Got it.
1: Yeah, again, because the blood of bulls and goats could never remove the sin. It could cover the sin, but it did not remove the sin. Only Jesus' blood removes the sin, and that's why when Jesus died, he preached to those in captivity. The doctrine that is around where Jesus went to hell and suffered in hell for a that is pure heresy. It's not found in the Bible. It's made up by a bunch of goofy people that will not read the Bible. And so when you find this idea that Jesus went to hell and he was suffering down there, and no— That is false doctrine. The Bible says when Jesus died those three days, he preached to those in captivity, Abraham's bosom, and he led captivity captive. Close that part of it down. The ultimate sacrifice now had been made. Those that died in faith were taken, and I believe that they are in heaven right now. Now, on the other side, though, we have the place of torment where the rich man went that is waiting, and this is where the dead go today as well. They go to this place awaiting the great white throne judgment. At the white throne judgment, at the end of all time, after the thousand-year reign is over, all these things, the books are open and every person will be judged according to what they've done unless Jesus Christ has forgiven their sins. Now remember this, just because a person dies does not stop the evil that they started while they were alive. Look at Joseph Stalin as an example. This wicked, wicked Tetrarch. Uh, people always cite, uh, uh, Adolf Hitler as being the world's worst. No, no, Joseph Stalin was right there with him. He murdered 20 million of his own people. Hitler killed Jews. Stalin murdered his own fellow Russians. Mao Zedong, 50 million. A Chinese murdered by these communist dictators. When you really look at this, the, the stress, the problems that it caused, think of the people that follow the idea of evolution that was made up by Darwin, now has been adapted into our schools as fact, and it's the biggest myth, the biggest lie that's ever been perpetrated. There's no factual evidence for it. None. There's no living, no, no, no transitional, uh, life forms found. There, there's no fossilized. There should be millions of them living and fossilized. Nothing. This is the great problem that we find. Those people are going to be judged for that lie that they have told people. Somebody starts a cult. 30 people when the cult started. Now there's millions. Oh yes, that great white throne judgment is going to be pretty harsh. So understanding that, that's why people still go to Sheol now, but they're awaiting when their works have come to full fruition. Even though they're dead, their wicked ways, the things they did, are still racking up against them. That's why when we're forgiven, we, God forgives us from from our sins in the past, our present, and as we remain in Him in the future, Joe, stay in line. We'll send you out books and DVDs. With that, we'll go to Teresa in Alabama. Hi, welcome.
3: Hi, I, I pray for y'all every day. Thank you. For, you're welcome. Um, How may we help? I a, okay, I have an impoverished life. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, From divorce, it was abuse of marriage for my husband and my daughter and uh, different things and all his lies and stuff. Anyway, I I wound up impoverished from his lies and everything, and uh, I had health problems. Well, Teresa,
1: our heart goes out to you. You know, we know that we live in a very, very fallen world, and there's lots of things that have happened to all of us, some more than others, but we know that this is why we have a, a heaven awaiting us that we look forward to. What would you say to Teresa, John?
2: Well, Teresa, the first thing that came to mind uh, as you were speaking was Psalm 34:18, where... The psalmist declared that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. And we want you to know today that the Lord is is near. And I also want to say the other thing that came to mind when I was thinking uh, was in Philippians 4.19, where it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So he is near, he is with you, and he also will provide for you, And there's a brighter day ahead, as Pastor Mike said.
1: And so to be about our Father's business, Teresa, this is what we all—and this is what the perseverance of the saints is. If we only serve God when everything was going our way, that really doesn't say much. But it's when we continue to serve God, when we really have to walk by faith. That's why we have to walk by faith. If everything was going my way every day and, oh, man, you know, putting Jesus in my pocket, I've climbed to the top and I'm—no, it's where we walk by faith. And we realize that as we do this, Paul even said the things that made him what he was, that made him the minister he was, was not PhDs hanging on his wall— He says, I was beaten with rods. I was shipwrecked. I had day and night in the deep. He was in perils in the country. He was perils in the city. He was perils with his own people. You look at all these different things that he went through that made him what he was. And so, Teresa, that we have learned through our trials to rely on Christ. And he's what makes the difference. You know, um John, why don't you pray for Teresa right now, and and we'll just lift her up, because I can tell by listening to her, she's very downtrodden and and hurt, and and she just needs to be encouraged.
2: Father, we do come before you, and we thank you for this call from Teresa. Lord, we know that you know all of the needs that she has, even before she asks. And Lord, we, together with our uh, family on On the air, Lord, we lift her up. Lord, prayers all over the country going up for Teresa right now. Lord, we pray that she would sense your presence. Lord, that you would remind her of the exceedingly great and precious promises that are hers. Lord, that you would strengthen her, Lord, physically, spiritually, emotionally, God. Provide everything that she needs. Lord, may she choose today to rejoice, even in the midst of what she's going through. And may she sense your presence. We thank you, Lord, for hearing us and ministering to her now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Teresa, our prayers are with you, dear. And I want to send you the new uh, the Jesus movie, okay? Okay,
3: thank you. Thank you very much.
1: All right, dear. Well, our prayers are with you. Stay in the line. We'll get that out to you, and you can watch it. I know you'll really enjoy it. Teresa, keep praying for you. We're going to get through this. In yes, Jesus' name. Amen. Teresa, God bless you. Say line. we'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Martha in Farmington, Missouri. Hi and welcome.
3: Hi. I need some spiritual questions answered. Well, how do you get through to someone? They keep throwing up Galatians 5, 19 about you know what who all entered into the kingdom of heaven. And you keep telling them that if you ask for forgiveness and you and you pray for that God come into your heart that God will forgive.
1: What else can I give that person? Well, you know, a lot of people in religion want to feel like they're deserving. And so they feel that you have to earn it by knocking on doors, eating organically grown food, good charitable deeds, giving all your money, joining the church. None of that has anything to do with anyone going to heaven. And that's the junked up religion that we find universally. Um, if you notice in, in the Middle East, they burn incense to appease their gods. There, it, it is interesting to understand that within the heart of man, he knows that God, there's been a separation. Thus the, the desire to appease him by works, incense burning good charitable deeds, again, all those things. But the Bible says the only thing that appeased the Father was Jesus dying on the cross for us to reconcile sinful man to himself. But yet today we find religions, and even times many in the Christian faith, that feel they have to earn it. Your thoughts?
2: Well, I just think— All you can do, you're doing the right thing. You're presenting the word to them. Martha, you're, you're pointing to God's word. And God's word is living and powerful. And it says what it says. But we also have to exercise faith and believe what it says. If we have sinned, we confess it. We, we turn from it. Listen, we, we're forgiven. The Bible says we can be forgiven. Now, if this person is continuing to live in that lifestyle and continuing to reject, um, and and I'm I'm not sure why they'd be throwing out uh, Galatians 5:19. Yeah, um, I'm not really understanding the, the the whole thing if they're trying to uh, approve of what they're doing or they're saying I can't ever come to the Lord. I'm not really sure. But the fact that you are pointing them to the scriptures and what the Bible says, you just have to pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and and bring clarity, and so that they could know uh, that they can actually be forgiven and have the power of the Spirit to walk away from the things that they've been involved with.
1: Um. Uh, now, very quick, Martha. It, it, are they involved in some kind of a lifestyle that's wrong, or do they just feel they've got to earn it? What, what's What do you think the problem is for them to be asking those questions or keeping throwing those things at you?
3: Well, he used to be a preacher, and hmm. he's pulled away from God, and he's living a lifestyle that's not pleasing, and he knows he's doing wrong but he acts like he can't get away from it, like he's in a deep pit and
1: can't get out. Well, that's what the devil would like him to believe. But, you know, repentance is a prayer away. And that's what I would tell him. Today is the appointed day of salvation. Not a week, not once I clean my life up, not once I climb out of the pit, then I'll turn my life over to God. Today is the day of salvation. And I would just tell him, just say, you know what? You're in this condition because you choose to be in it because today is the appointed day of salvation. I would just say right now, you can pray, say, Lord, I'm done with this lifestyle. I'm out of here. Let's chain it, turn it all over to you. And that's what really, um, well, in this particular case, a rededication of his life would be, um, and I don't know what caused him to turn his back on God, but uh nobody's going to do something for God that the devil doesn't come and try to destroy him. Uh I I you know whether you're looking at again the apostle Paul or any of them all of us if you're if you're going to be a live fish swimming against the 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 river going down the tube um the devil the devil's going to come after you. Uh I would probably ask him a question. I would say, "Well, what were you doing?" that caused the, the devil to want to come after you. You must have been quite a quite a pastor for the devil to want to come and beat you up this way. And I think if you can just go back and just begin to reason with him why the train went off the tracks, I think maybe you can help him get the train back on the tracks. But really, it, it's something that God needs to do, not down the road, but right now. And I, I would keep hitting him with that. Today is the appointed day of salvation. I hope that would help.
3: I know. I've tried for 37 years to get him on the right track and to try to make him understand, that he just keeps having pity parties for himself and falling back into the same pit.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Any Any last thoughts, John?
2: Well, I think all you can do is what you've done. You can pray. You can point him to Jesus. And, you know, don't underestimate the power of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. What seems impossible for us is not impossible for the Lord. He can get a hold of anybody, and the Bible's full of examples of that. And so we pray for this man who was a preacher in the past, that the Lord would wake him up and open his eyes, and that the scales would fall off, and he wouldn't play victim, but he would turn from his sin. The Bible says, turn and live And that would be my exhortation to this man who had some kind of a ministry before he knows what's right. He just needs to do what's right.
1: Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We pray for this man's salvation. We pray Satan is bound from him. You would open his eyes to the promises that you have given him. And Lord, that he would no longer be satisfied living in a a broken, downtrodden way. But Father, that you would change him now in Jesus' name and give Martha the right words to say to him that would cause his heart to be softened towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. Martha, stay in line. We'll send you out some books and DVDs, and uh, maybe you can get him a, that little book called Time to Grow uh, that I wrote. I tell him I, I really want him to have that, okay? All
3: right. Thank you. God bless you.
1: Stay online. We'll get those out to you. Let's go to Ann in San Jose. Hi, welcome.
3: Yes, hi. What are your thoughts about Christians who smudge? That is the act of burning sage to dispel negative spirits uh and such i have a friend who does this even though um i've told her it's a pagan act but she says she says she does it in the name of jesus christ and i say no that's that's it's not but um can you give me some scripture or anything else i can tell her
1: Yeah, that's like, that's like saying, well, you know, we're going to shake a dead chicken. Well, it's not prescribed in scripture, but that's okay. I'm a Christian. I'm going to do what I want to do. Your thoughts, John.
2: Well, you know, first of all, this comes from the Native Americans. You know, they would take sage or something like that. They go into their home and they would burn it and they would, you know, try to get away evil spirits, try to get the, well, as they say out here, the energy that is evil. We want to remove it from our house. And so we burn this and you might like the smell of sage, but it's not going to do anything against evil spirits. I mean, that's clear. They they don't mind uh, sage burning. That, That doesn't bother them. They don't mind incense. That has no impact whatsoever on them. The only way you get rid of that which is evil is in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So it's really null and void. But I would say to Christians who are doing that, um, there's no biblical precedent for that. There's there's no reason for you to do that. Why would you do that when you have the name of Jesus? And sometimes um, we find that in the church, the church grabs onto these things of the world and tries to make it a part of Christianity, which the Lord never made it a part of it to begin with. And it's unfortunate that you see that. But I think of scriptures like um, one that comes to mind is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Who's, who's guarding you? Uh, the Lord against the evil one, not sage, not incense, none of those things. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Ephesians in chapter six, Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and against rulers and against the, the hosts of wickedness. Listen, when Paul said put on the armor, there wasn't a piece that said, put on sage, uh, burn it. This will help you overcome the evil one. No, no, no. There is an armor. It's spiritual armor, and, and there's nothing burning. That that is going to do anything. So I would point them to the scriptures, and and I would you know kind of go to the etymology of this. That this is pagan in nature, and and it's it's unbiblical, and you shouldn't be doing it as a Christian. You like the smell of it, wonderful, but it's not cleansing anything out of your house.
1: Yeah, uh, the the only only the devils uh, are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they don't come out from from uh, you know burning sage or whatever. Non-reason religious experience is always a danger. So, Anne, I hope that helps.
3: Um, one last thing. Would you say she's opening herself up to anything by doing that?
1: I think anytime you move outside of God's Word to do anything spiritual, you are. Because the thing is, you're going for non-prescribed things concerning God. And so we don't want to do that. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not a bunch of junk we make up or we read in some some shaman book or something else. So I, I would just say, go back to what the Bible says. Show me in the Bible where you can do these incantations, burning sage, uh, you know, burning anything. Um, uh, it, it's not going to have any effect. So, dear, I hope that helps.
3: Yes, thank you. Very helpful.
1: I'll stay online, uh, on and we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. let's go to Charlotte, Arizona. Hi welcome.
3: Hello. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for the package you sent me. Yes, um, one book in, Yes, One book in particular was misguided by Mormonism. It really is perfect because I called last week about some Mormons that were uh, speaking to me and I was trying to tell them about the gospel. And they kept taking verses out of the Bible, but screwing, uh, messing with them in a way that, and I assume it came from the Book of Mormon. And I was beginning to think I was going to have to read the Book of Mormon in order to uh, talk with them, but now you got me the misguided by Mormonism, and it's perfect, so thank you so much.
1: Well, dear, that's why we're here. We, we, We love to help the body of Christ. We want to tell you the truth as I've shared with everyone before we don't have a church dogma here. Uh what we stand for is what God's word says. If it ain't in, if it isn't in the Bible, I reject it. Uh and uh this is why we we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And again, um when people are adding to God's Word or reading and writing the Bible to suit their own belief, that's why I tell people everywhere, move away from that as quickly as you can. Because, again, this is the problem that people don't know their Bible, and many Christians don't know their Bible, and so we have a hard time defending our faith, and that's why we need to know. Any last thoughts, John?
2: Well, I would say just if you don't know this, some of our listeners, Mormonism is a cult, a flat out cult, teaches a different Jesus, different Bible, use different books that contradict one another, and the Holy Spirit would never contradict himself, and Jesus is God, period. That's what the Bible says, and they deny that. And so I encourage you to be discerning, be like the Bereans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They believe that that uh, Jesus is is uh Satan's brother, uh not Scripture Again, John 3:16, God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Charlotte, stay in line. We'll get you taken care of as well. Uh, if you have the movie Jesus, all those, please call us. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. Thanks, John. Good night, everybody. more
0: about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call one 800 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.